Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Future in Review podcast. I'm Barrett Anderson, the COO of Future in Review. And for those of you who have never heard of Future in Review before, we run the annual FIRE conference, which The Economist has called the best technology conference in the world. The other arm of our business, Strategic News Service, provides its subscribers with the most accurate source of information about the future of technology and the global economy. So if you enjoy these updates, we recommend that you sign up for the Strategic News Service Global Report using the link below. And I'm here today with Evan Anderson, who is a senior analyst for the Global Report and the CEO of Invent IP, our initiative focused on nation-sponsored intellectual property theft. And we're going to be doing a little switcheroo of sorts. Uh, he is going to be interviewing me for for a change so i hereby officially evan in this capacity <laughs> reprise my role as host i can feel the, the power already yeah yeah <laughs> uh well thank you barrett it's a pleasure to be here and it's a pleasure to, to switch around a little bit um i think this week's issue, uh, just for the audience, you you described a number of things that were really interesting and new, all to do with the information sphere inside the U.S. Um, and one of the things that you talked a lot about and sort of introduced as a concept um, was information sovereignty, which I thought was really interesting because we don't talk that much about our information spheres, right, as sovereign. Um, so can you kind of just get a little bit into that and tell folks what you're what you're thinking when you're talking about information sovereignty like what does it mean right so i think for the average person what it means um the concept of of information sovereignty is do you do the american people own the national conversation that is taking place within the country you can ask the same question about any country yeah is it a result of popular beliefs and ideas rising up as we are told uh, through algorithms <laughs> um, or is it a result of foreign interference and I think the the idea of information sovereignty is you are primarily experiencing uh, a conversation that is legitimately from the minds hearts and souls of the American people um, but what we're experiencing in America right now and what I write about in, in this piece is that the conversations that we are having on a national level right now as citizens are not actually designed or orchestrated by Americans. They're heavily manipulated and influenced by both the Chinese Communist Party and Russian misinformation. And what that means is that we think we're having these conversations that are about political polarity and we're, we're very divided, but really those divides are being accelerated and exacerbated by this outside interference. And so a lot of this frustration and anger that we're feeling about how much we really hate people on the other side of the aisle and how much we, you know, whatever side of the aisle you're on, it's likely you feel pretty bad about people who think differently politically than you do right now. And that is by design. So that's kind of the overall concept of information sovereignty here in the US. Yeah, and you you what you're getting at too is, you know, not only who controls the conversation but also you know what people believe that conversation to be. So not like in other words not only I are I I think I believe you're saying not only are we losing control of our national conversation 
And for instance, this is an older problem, but not in its current iteration, where in the past, people had lots of propaganda that they tried to insert into the US. Much of it mm-hmm. worked, but if it came on a flyer, it spread a heck of a lot slower than if it, you know, and, and was less convincing than it may look now when it looks like our own countrymen believe something that we don't even understand or understand where it came from. So it, it kind of comes down to a question of having an open information society, which you already talked about as well. Um, sorry, which you did talk about in your piece as well. Um, and so I guess one question would be, we're an open society relatively. We're used to the idea that um, the people that we're talking to in our society are probably not um, just repeating a slew of talking points from a foreign government. And yet increasingly, whether it's with public figures or just average citizens, those of us, including you and I, who, who study this stuff are noticing that that's exactly what's happening. So what do we do about that? We've got open societies. The, the By the way, the places these are coming from are closed, right? And you talked about that. So what are your thoughts on, on what to do about kind of the inherent dichotomy there between open and more open and more closed societies and, and how one can insert things into the other? Right. Well, so yeah, as you mentioned, both China and Russia, and so so we, I will repeat this because it's you people watching this podcast may or may not have seen our past, all of our sure. past work, yeah. but there is an ongoing alliance between China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea. And all of those societies are relatively closed information societies, right? So Iran maybe a little bit less, or previously was a little bit less so, but at this point, but post pretty, pretty controlled. Post revolution, quite controlled, right? Yeah. Um, and so those those countries are being led by leaders, authoritarian leaders, who believe that maintaining control of their citizens will allow them to continue their leadership in perpetuity. And so what that means is that information from the United States has a really hard time getting in and infiltrating. Uh, they can control what their people are talking about, what their people are saying, especially online, you know, uh, a little bit harder to do uh, behind closed doors, but makes it very hard to organize or protest or, you know, orchestrate any kind of revolution when you're being constantly surveilled and monitored, like as far as what you're saying. So in the US, we still have the surveillance problem, clearly, but it's not necessarily, you know, you're not going to go to jail for posting something on Facebook, right? You're not going to be thrown into prison or disappeared or uh, that's an open information society, relatively speaking. And so we have have laws and protections, in other words. So while while laws get broken, there are often consequences for that. And, And that's why, you know, journalism is important, right? Because sometimes people overstep in, in Western governments that are in democratic societies that protect free speech and they overstep on surveillance. Sometimes they overstep on free speech. Um, and, and then there are court cases about it. And those courts actually are not beholden to the security apparatus that may have overstepped. Right. So it's just a very different way that that's that. Plays yeah, that's, out. that's how it's supposed to work. Ideally. Yeah. And, you know, like we, you, the U S is not perfect by any means, but we have tried very hard over the years to protect that freedom to say whatever you'd like, even if uh, it's not it's inconvenient to the current administration. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the what we're seeing 
what we're seeing here though is that those closed information societies really understand the value of being closed and they're doing it because they don't want us to do the same thing to them that they're currently doing to us or even um, just to hear what we talk about <laughs> well yes they don't want they don't want their people to know i mean this is an interesting story right of the, the so in china they had covid lockdowns for a very long time the reason that there were sudden protests of the chinese people by the Chinese people in China about these extreme COVID lockdowns was because they televised the World Cup in China. Those people saw that there were other people all over the world who were not under the same kinds of restrictive lockdowns and then flooded the streets. They got angry that they were being told something that wasn't true. So there are direct political repercussions to that. Yeah. So um, you were talking about the Krink Alliance, which we've talked about a lot, China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, um, and, and kind of the ways in which these closed societies are pumping misinformation into our societies, really pumping uh, propaganda points into our societies that wind up in our national conversation without people understanding it. Um, and, and I know for uh, you know years, things have been in kind of a shifting environment um, where a lot of those countries are changing their strategies. And you like maybe talk a little bit about that, um, particularly, I think, as it applies to Russia and China, who are the biggest, just for our audience here, who are the biggest by far purveyors of, you know, weird narratives that they're that they're purposefully inserting into other right. countries' national conversations. Yeah, so the overall strategy hasn't changed too much. It, the overall strategy has always been and continues to be divide, polarize, uh, demean the perspective of the the United States by the eyes of its citizens, right? Make people feel yeah, like they're not proud. To be, debase democracy to be part and of, government. To be part of this country. Make people feel like they're not proud of their fellow people. Make people, make them angry, divide families, divide, you know. So that's the big picture strategy. But what we're seeing as far as a, from a tactic, tactics perspective is an evolution of tactics to evade detection online. So, you know, in the 2016 election, primarily there was, it was Russian interference. Um, there was a very specific set of, you know, bots on Twitter that were primarily being used to shape social media. There was a set of shadow propaganda sites that were being used to promote media content so that it would be then propagated through that social media network. Today, what we're seeing is a lot more advanced. So China and Russia are much more consistently retweeting each other, re-posting um, each other's perspectives and worldviews. Uh, they've done that in, in particular because when we banned RT in the United States, which was Russian propaganda, um, they lost a huge amount of reach. So China has been using its massive reach because there's still a lot of US companies that are in China and focused on the Chinese market somehow, um, to continue to regain that on Russia's behalf. And they're promoting specific, very specific narratives about things like um, the Ukrainian invasion by Russia. They're not calling it an invasion. They're calling it a special operation. So they're trying to promote this idea that it was not, it's a tactical thing. It's not actually an invasion. It's not an act of war. Um, they're, they're promoting this idea very consistently that well, the United States has invaded countries in the past, and so therefore they're the real, they're the real people behind this, right? The U.S. participation in the Ukraine conflict is being portrayed as like another 
instance of getting involved in and yeah wipe the slate clean and and act as though there was no aggressor and it's just more u.s intervention in some country exactly exactly deflect all blame from you know so so in other words what i think from a from a broader perspective what i think you're getting at is in the past uh when it came to online and kind of misinformation work um particularly that the kind that hits the average person on their social media, I think that's what we're really talking about here. It sounds like, uh, say, five years ago, 10 years ago, um, the Russians were kind of the biggest player in the game um, and the most active. And now I I think it's true that back then the the Chinese government, at least when they were using tools like that and, and using methods like that, were pretty discreet and pretty targeted and it sounds like you're saying now they have much larger nets, you know, botnets, et cetera. And they're targeting and they're sort of more, the broader population now. And they're also using more platforms, right? So so that's the other thing. They're, mm-hmm. you know, whereas previously they were primarily focused on Twitter and Facebook in the US election, they're now trying to do this multi-platform approach. Like they're creating videos on YouTube that they'll link to on Reddit to, you know, push them forward. Um, they're using TikTok for surveillance and um, I think kind of banning of uh, phrases or words. That, there's a banned word list that was uh, leaked from ByteDance. A couple I was of trying to figure out what that even meant. It was it, it's tough because it's the wording is weird enough that you're going well. That could mean a lot of things, but none of them are good, right? <laughs> yeah, and in that kind of case, they're they're um, they're really ch- trying to monitor what people are saying about China like mm-hmm. primarily and and censoring and pulling back influence or spread of threads of, that might be cr- critical or or um criticizing China and the Chinese Communist Party particularly they're sensitive to things like uh any mention of like the Uyghur population or you know concentration camps or and they're trying to promote Ukraine as Nazis right so they're 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 really just trying to muddle all of the water um, the other tactic that Iran has used that I think we're we're going to we're, we're likely to see coming up in the next couple of years here in the United States as China and Russia continue to be more coordinated and aggressive in their information warfare tactics is they in, infiltrate specific networks of activists often um, mm-hmm. and then do things with fake accounts they and then do things to undermine those movements. Right. So um, Russia recently was caught. Not during the last election, Russia was caught um, hiring essentially Nigerians to um, and Ghanaians to run social media accounts posing as U.S. citizens, trying to augment and polarize the black community, trying to you know the mm-hmm. black communities. Um, and- well, and there was there was actually a legal case. I'm trying to remember because I don't want to get it wrong. So for now, I'll just say I can't recall. Um, maybe if we find it, we'll drop it in the chat for this. But there was actually a case in one of the DO, DOJ, Department of Justice's cases, um, where they actually had uh, evidence that a group had, you know, staged events, too. So staged a protest or staged a get-together. Mm-hmm. And if I can get on with a fake set of, you know, organizations online and stage events of any kind, right, whether it's a protest and I just want to get you riled up and get you out there, um, and and cause an issue in some city in someone else's country, or if it's I'm cre- even worse, I'm creating an interest group, recruiting all those people that think that they're there talking to each other about their own problem in their own town, 
but they're actually just all getting together under the you know auspices of a foreign government who then goes hey guys i've got a great idea why don't we you know target the local bank or something like that right. um right. it just it gets into some pretty eerie gray zone warfare kind of territory right i think i think you know there's not public proof of this yet but um there is a lot of public proof that the Chinese and Russian misinformation efforts have directly targeted specifically woke culture, the black community, gun violence, anytime something, something divisive, anything come people divisive, have comes about. up, the George yeah. Floyd protest. Um, and I would not be at all surprised. In fact, I would say I would be shocked if it, this hadn't happened, but the far right organization and the far right coordination and the January 6th attack or uh attacks me with the wrong word capital um insurrection um i am positive personally as positive as one can be without direct evidence that those there was russian involvement in those in those movements right because mm-hmm. those kinds of things are exactly meets, the kinds of things that they've done before because it meets um, the and mission it be, and it meets the tactics right exactly where, where are you when you look at the things that they've been trying to do when you look at internal documents that they have about what they're what they're trying to achieve and then you watch that play out around the world and then you watch it it's play the exact out same playbook. in another instance it's the exact it follows same the playbook, playbook. Yeah. yeah yeah and and that's you know if we're looking at today what's going on in that space like the the entire backlash against like like the conversations going on online about trans rights about abortion um backlash about woke culture all of that is being exacerbated and manipulated by by these efforts. So I think it tends the, to the look I agree that it tends to look when you see the online conversations being had it looks at face value like accelerated hatred and accelerated yes. yeah. you know ire. Like they've poured kerosene And then when on. you yeah, and then when you actually so it is true that it it's is not, not the, difficult to go into those conversations on social media and start looking at who's posting. And if you know what you're looking for, you very quickly find bots. So I actually can definitively say, I do this every day when I'm watching people scream at each other. And it's you know often not even that hard to tell what's going on because they're pretty cheaply farmed bots. And so mm-hmm. Dave you know, Dingus from Upside Down Florida is not a very convincing profile. And you can find stuff kind of like that where it's just like bare attempts, bare minimum at an American sounding name and there's an American flag on their profile. And they, you'll, sometimes you'll even find the same bots saying polar opposite perspectives in different conversations, just right well, at the right I've moment. Right. <laughs> in general is these networks are often, if they're good and, and valid, like able to avoid a te- detection, it takes actually humans to create these and yeah. work well. Like we've moved beyond the point where automated accounts like it's it's much easier for, for, yeah. for platforms to detect automated accounts. So they've moved actually to a more human-centered approach, which makes it harder to understand if you're dealing with an agent of misinformation who's paid by the Russian government or it's Bob, for, you know, yeah, from Iowa who's an who you don't know. Worker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so I guess that leads us to really the last thing that we could even talk about here, which is okay. We kind of know this is going on. What you're saying is that it's a question of information sovereignty, which I haven't heard before, and that it's worse than we know. Um, and the real question is, what do we do about this? Because we can't recognize as average people 
we won't even necessarily know when we're not speaking to a, you know, a fellow American or a fellow European. We'll just see the words, and if they're doing it right, it will be fluent in your own language, and it will try to convince you that someone just like you in your country or someone who's not like you in your country is saying either something you really like or something you really hate. What do we do about that? I mean, I, there's a couple of things you can do about it. Number one, delete your TikTok account. <laughs> Get off of TikTok. It's a direct, it's a direct tool of the Chinese Communist Party. So just, just like get over it and and delete it um number two uh i do think that there is is an opening for you know the internet and social media started off as this thing that's so amazing to be anonymous and you can you can be yourself and sorry my dog is entering is entering the podcast um but i do think that there is a space we may be moving more in the opposite direction right because if you can't if the we've gotten to the point where the anonymity means you have no idea right you have no idea if you're talking to a generative ai or a bot or a human who's pretending to be another human and so i do think that moving forward social media companies that are able to actually verify verify and authenticate people's who the people are who they say they are as far as you know this person actually lives in the united states and you know, I've connected, yeah. you know, done- I know a lot of us pay, pay a lot less mind these days to anonymous accounts, right? Right. Because there's just, it's like, what's the point? If you're going to be, I, you may want to be anonymous on Twitter, but I do not have to listen to what you have to say because I have no idea who you are or if you even exist. Do you think that that's going to be a problem though when it comes to verification the way you're describing? I think a lot of people like to be anonymous on the internet. True. But there's going to be, I think there's going to be a bifurcation. Mm-hmm. where you you those people who are anonymous like you can set up social vouching systems right where like let's say i'm verified based on who like i'm willing I'm, you know i'm doing podcasts every week i'm willing to be identified that this is really me uh ironically tinder does is start they have a ton of bots <laughs> but like tinder does this also they they will ask you for a photo right so they'll have you take a selfie to prove that it's actually you well, and, and people so, end up meeting up in person, so there's a direct danger to their safety yeah. if there's a problem. So there are right? there are ways to do this. There are ways that you can, you know, Apple has everyone's fingerprint, right? So you can. There are ways that we can do this, and I think it's going to become a network of like, oh, are you? Con- how many trusted people are you connected to? How good are you at um, distinguishing between real people and fake people, <laughs> right? Like that's going to be a skill a skill set that will allow people to thrive as far as like, what does the next generation of, of skills look like? Are you good at recognizing potential robots or computers or, or, you know, misinformation agents? It's probably a strategic advantage. I wonder too, if there's a way to get around the problem. I mean, I know, I kind of wonder if that was the idea behind Twitter's, I think it probably was in part behind Twitter's um, where are you tweeting from? Right. Uh, but it does help a lot of information warfare folks just when they're looking at, you know, uh, propaganda campaigns online. It's like, oh, well, this is a lot of sometimes it's lazy. Right. And it's like, oh, a lot of this came directly out of Russia. Um, but, so, you know, it's easy to spoof those things. I just I just wonder if there's going to be an arms race here at some point where it's like we kind of need to know that you're at least in the country or in, you know, on vacation. But right. Usually right. posting from the country you claim to be living in. Um, and that's just countrywide, so it's not such a big deal, right? Because I think a lot of people would prefer not to 
necessarily have, you know, some sort of big authentication ID system for using social media, but there are probably ways around that, like creative ways around that. Well, and there are all kinds of reasons, like safety reasons why there are sometimes where you definitely don't want, wouldn't want to, you know, people or places or situations where it would not be safe to share your identity, especially in those closed information societies. So I think what you're going to wind up with is like a series of this person has confirmed their identity, right? Like I will show not TikTok my passport (laughs) to prove that I am an American citizen or my driver's license, right? It's like renting a car. Um, you have to prove that you are who you say you are to have that kind of responsibility. And I think we're probably moving in that direction. Hmm. Um, you can, like, I can bring someone along in my car who doesn't have a driver's license or isn't willing to show someone their driver's license, but they're not going to be able to rent the car themselves. Right. It's, it's a little yeah, bit of a- It sounds like there might be some technical solutions in there that would help to add a layer of removal between perhaps a social media company who's not someone you want to give your driver's license to and um right you could have a third-party verification tool i mean you're always going to have issues with ownership right yeah of those kinds of things well it's it's a a sticky topic no matter what (laughs) yeah all right well thank you barrett i think we we got into the weeds at the end there but hopefully in exactly the way that people like to think about and hear about um as you can tell these are not simple problems so I am, I'm, to... I'm giving this idea freely into the world. So if you would like to, if anyone out there is watching this podcast and they want to create an identity verification system that protects identities while verifying them and can be trans- used across platforms, take the idea and build it. Yeah, I think, there, you know, there might, there might be some folks right now, I'm thinking of some companies that I've met before that either have already done it or are capable of doing it. And maybe the real question is like, can we convince people that that's worth doing, right? And and again, to circle back, at the end of the day, what we're learning is that in the modern era with all this digital technology, you're kind of starting to give up your information sovereignty as a nation. And if you are just sitting around with your fellow citizens having the conversation that Vladimir Putin or Xi Jinping decided you should have that day, that's probably not great. So... <laughs> All right, Bear, thank you so much for your time. This has yeah, been very interesting, as, as per always. I'm looking forward to talking more.